Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your son Jesus. Thank you for uh, Alberto leading us to the foot of the cross and remembering how, how much Jesus suffered for our sake. And God, we're so grateful for that, that song, Oceans. God, we do pray that you lead us to a place where our trust is without borders for you. That we trust you to every core of our being. Because we know that you ultimately, almighty God, are truly trustworthy. Speak through me today, and in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I have good news for you, church. You made it to the 10 a.m. service. You're here. We're going to give everyone grace that walks in around 11, all right, because they're all part of the fam. But we, we decided, you know, to come back as one family, kind of a family reunion to have one service. And we're so excited. This is our first one. Welcome to the fam. Excited we're here. We're going to continue to, you know, reevaluate this over time, but we wanted to come back all together as a whole church, uh, you know, at one service. Really excited about this. Um, before I continue, though, talking about family matters. You know, the family really does care when, when two of their family members fall in love. And, and when they get to the point where, um, where, where beauty meets beasts, you know, or where, where pleasant vocal cords meet an incredible, an incredible nurse, you know what I'm saying? So, some of you guys might know Josh Brown, who leads us so amazing in worship. Well, God fulfilled one of his dreams, and he got engaged to Coco yesterday. Can y'all stand up? Yes. Coco, you're the beauty. He's the beast. Just in case. You know, he's, all right. So we're continuing in our series on deconstruction today, and um, this, this is where we've been so far. So we've, we've, talked about dis, we've talked about disillusionment and disassociation two weeks ago, or a week ago. Michael Burns, two weeks ago, kind of defined seven different Ds of deconstruction, seven different types of deconstruction. And today we're focusing on redefinition, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, and our, our title for today is Identity. I promise in my edit of the slides I spelled redefinition right. So don't email me, all right? But the edit didn't make it, all right? The edit didn't make it. All right, so, um, but we're going to talk about identity today, see? We're going to talk about identity today. Let's flip in our Bibles to Matthew 22. I do want to thank everyone that's prayed for uh, my family. Uh, you might not know, so most of my extended families from Fort Myers, Florida, that got hit by the hurricane. And so my mom and dad aren't down there, but all the rest of my family are. And my aunt and uncle were their disciples in a traditional church of Christ down there. And they, uh, they got four feet of water in their house. And so they only have a one-story house. So their four-bedroom house, everything the water touched is ruined. So they lost everything, including three cars. So my brother and I went down there for a week last week to just to serve them and love them and help with the cleanup. Had to tear out all the, you know, the, the, their walls and it was just, just terrible. Same thing at his shop. So if you could continue to pray for Roy and Betty Massey, uh, Massey clan, you know, but they are, they're, they're without a house indefinitely until, until they get everything cleaned up. So please continue to pray for them. But what I was so inspired by, my, my aunt and uncle, in, in their faith, is that when I got down there to my, my Uncle Roy, the first thing he said to me was, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And I was, what? 
you just lost everything. Are you serious? And I was so kind of just wowed for the whole week we were there, their positivity, their faith in these dire circumstances, their encouragement to my brother and I. It was like, it's okay to cry, all right? Like you just lost everything. But it was just their, their faith came out. They had put their anchor in Jesus, and even during this storm, their faith shines. And as we go through deconstruction, I was thinking about that and, um, and how, you know, they're literally deconstructing their house because they lost everything. I mean, literally, right? And yet, through that whole process, because they were rooted in Jesus, they're able to make it through. And as we go through this series on deconstruction, we really want to do two things. One is to say, if you're in a period of questioning, if you're in a period of, of self-evaluating, if you're in a period of, of deconstructing God in, in church and trying to figure it all out, hey, this is a safe place to do that. We, and you're safe here. This is a good place to be on that journey. But then two, we want to equip you that if you're in that place, we want to help you learn, equip you to cling on to Jesus through those questions and cling on the kingdom through those questions so that he will root you through this journey and take you out on the other side. Amen? So with that, we're going to pick up in Matthew 22, and we're going to be in verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You're not swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Okay, pause. So we see these guys that are coming up, and, and they're trying to trap Jesus in his words. And, and they first try to butter him up. You know what I'm saying? If you're a, a parent, you know exactly what this looks like with your child. Right, you know, Cam, if, 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 he, he knows right before nap time, right before bedtime, you know, he'll be like, Cam, we're about to go to sleep. And he'll just go, ah, Daddy, I love you, and give me a big hug. I'm like, you still got to go to sleep. <laughs> or before breakfast or after dinner when he knows he's not supposed to have a snack, he'll come up to me and just, and just... I'm like, who taught you how to do that? And he's like, can I have, what do you want? Can I have a snack, please? I knew it. You wanted something. But who teaches little kids to do it? It's like inherent in who they are, right? But these guys, they, they're trying to butter them up, right? They just, we know you're a man of integrity. You're not swayed by others, and Jesus is going to cut right through it. But notice who he's talking to. This is important as we walk through this passage. In verse 15, uh, we see it's the Pharisees, and the Pharisees send their disciples to Pharisees, along with, in verse 16, the Herodians. So we have the, the Herodians and the Pharisees, and that's important as we get into this. Um, because the Pharisees, if, if you're new to Christianity, let me just describe who those two groups are briefly. Uh, the Pharisees are the ruling religious power uh, of Israel at the time. And so they're opposed to Roman rule. They don't want Rome to rule. They want to be able to control it themselves. While, so that's the Pharisees. While the Herodians, the Herodians uh, they're, they're advocates of King Herod. Of King Herod, Herodian King Herod. And so King Herod was given power by Roman rule implying that they like Roman rule because the Rome put their dude in charge. And so what we have right here is two groups that are letting the culture of the world for Rome or not for Rome define their identity and to bring it into spiritual things. They were trying to trap Jesus based off their worldly points of view. And their question, 
Okay, is it, is it right to give the imperial tax to Caesar or not? That's a carefully crafted question. Because if Jesus says yes, he would then alienate himself from all the Jews because Jesus would then be supporting Rome. And the Jews don't want that. And if he said, no, don't pay the tax, well, then he's opposing Roman rule. And that could, that could have Rome come and arrest him for that. It could incriminate him. And he can't ignore the question because Jesus' central message was about the kingdom of God and how it's arrived. And so a question about paying taxes to another kingdom, the kingdom of Rome, was fully relevant. But I love what we're about to read. Jesus is walking so in step with the spirits that his mind cuts through worldly arguments with kingdoms so clearly. Let's see what he says in verse 18. You guys with me? We've also deconstructed the slides with just white background. So we're just full deconstruction. You know what I'm saying? All right. Verse 18. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Well, whose image is on this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him, and they went away. Hang on a second, like, okay, whose image is this? And give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and the God's what is God's? Like, what? Jesus, you, is that a cop-out? Just pay the tax, and I'll focus on spiritual. Is that kind of a cop-out, Jesus? I don't, did you actually say, did you give an answer right here? And yet, we know he said something profound, because these guys that were trying to trap him were so amazed that they were speechless, and they walked away. So what in that those short couple phrases blew their minds? What in those short couple phrases made them so perplexed that they had nothing else to say? And, and let's look at it right here, right? So whose image is this? Right there in verse 20. He looks at it and says, whose image is this? Give me this denarius. So this is a denarius during, the, that, during that time period. And then on that denarius would have been an, an image of king or the emperor Caesar. So this is Tiberius, right? And, but that, what an interesting phrase. Like if I were to show you a coin, would you ever say whose image is on it? You would say who's on it or whose picture is that or what do you see? Whose image? Like that's kind of weird language right there. What's interesting is that also not only was the image on there, uh, you know, of Tiberius, the emperor, Caesar, uh, but then also the inscription around it says the son of the divine or the son of God. And to Jesus in that moment, he would have seen the irony in that moment. But what is he getting out? So Caesar takes this coin and he puts this image on it or he makes it in his image. And Jesus is getting at something here. When talking about made in his image, that carries massive biblical weight. Of course, this goes back, if you're familiar with Christianity, to the beginning. In Genesis 1, let's read this together. In Genesis, wave in the beginning of the Bible that set the foundation in our identity of who we are as humankind from now on. Let's read it, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our, what? In our likeness. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and in the birds of the sky, over the livestock, the wild animals, over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own. And in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Let me tell you something mind-boggling. That there's a God that created all 
of the universe. He is the supreme being, and yet you are made in his image. Isn't that just incredible? That you bear the image of God. God is saying intrinsically you are like the moon to the sun. That wherever you go, you radiate, you reflect my image into the world around you. That you are made, your, your core being is an image bearer of the almighty God. And so Jesus, he, to, to the, the Herodians and the Pharisees who memorized the Torah at an early age, this would have immediately popped up into them. This blew their mind, whose image. And so he comes back to this point, back in uh, Matthew 22, and he says, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Jesus says, well, what belongs to Caesar? Okay, that coin, okay, dude, who cares? Give that coin to Caesar. But who... Who are you made in? Who, who, who do you belong to? You're made in God's image. Your entire being reflects him. In saying, give the coin to Caesar, but give your whole being to God. He's saying, look, you're, you're asking the wrong question. You're, you're coming from a flawed, worldly argument trying to understand spiritual things. You Herodians are defining identity based off King Herod and Rome as if that's the most important thing. And then you Pharisees are defining your identity based off the nation state of Israel. You haven't got yet. That's, that was just a shadow to the kingdom of God. The nation of Israel is just, it's not the most important thing. He's saying God is the most important thing and don't let worldly culture define the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus, he, rede- he redefines their identity into image bearers of God. In doing so, he calls them to give their allegiance to God and his kingdom. He's saying, look, you need to make sure to follow the laws of the land. Dude, pay your taxes. Give Caesar back that coin that belongs to him. But what is happening down here on earth, that is not where your identity comes from. He says you might live in a land controlled by Rome, but you might live in a land ruled by Caesar, but you're not ruled by Caesar. You're ruled by a different authority. He says, he's telling them, you're not made in Caesar's image. And as much as we want to believe, as much as he wants to believe he's the son of God, he's not. He says, give your taxes, but the government of Rome is nothing compared to my kingdom. It's not my kingdom. Give to God your entire being, your entire soul, your entire life, and give your allegiance to God and his kingdom. Amen? So I love this Bible study. But what does this have to do with deconstruction? Glad you asked, all right? Glad you asked. So today we're talking about redefining. We're talking about the, the, uh, there's a type of deconstruction that's all when you start redefining things. So what is redefining and deconstruction? Well, it's when you base your interpretation of the Bible off the culture of the world. Okay, so it's when you take things from the world and ideas from the world, and then, and then you look at the Bible and try to interpret the Bible from this place in the world. When you do that, you end up in really funky places and you don't end up with kingdom. So here's the the main key for today. The main key of this whole lesson is don't let the culture of the world shape the way you view the Bible, but let the Bible shape the way you view the world. Amen? You gotta let the Bible shape the way you view the world. And and that's what these guys were doing. There, There was this hot button topic during their time, should we pay taxes or not? And then there was different camps about whether or not you should pay taxes. And there's people that believe different things, and so they were coming from these worldly camps trying to come in and view how should I, as a a follower in the kingdom of God, what should I do? But they were coming from the world trying to make that 
decision. For Rome or not for Rome. And Jesus is saying you got it all wrong. you got to flip the way you think to let kingdom describe that and not the other way around. You see, there's so many hot-button topics in society today. They're all the words that when they come up from conversation, you're like, oh, how's the weather? <laughs> you don't want to talk about it. And our culture is defining them and saying that these hot-button topics are the most important things. And usually there's traces of truth in worldly camps and worldly cultures, but no worldly culture has absolute truth. That's only found in the kingdom of God. That's where the whole truth is. In the kingdom of God, it's truly an alternative way. It's an alternative way. It's not this camp or this camp or this camp. The kingdom of God is its own camp. It's its own way. God's will defines kingdom culture, and it is not perfectly aligned with any worldly culture. So think about hot topics that make you twitch a little bit, right? Topics like justice, women's roles, homosexuality, modesty, politics, racial issues, and so on. Hey, nobody walked out. Good job. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but all those different kind of topics, doesn't the world set up camps about each one of those topics? And says, it, my way's best. If you're not in this way, cancel culture. You're out. And if you align yourself to one of those worldly camps and you try to interpret this based from a worldly place on those hot topics, you're not going to end up with kingdom. You're not going to end up with the will of God. You have to start first with kingdom and start as an image bearer of God and then interpret what the world is saying about that hot topic. Look, I'm not saying the church has always been right on every topic, guys, because we haven't. I'm not saying that we don't need to re-examine issues. We do need to do that. We need to grow. We need to make sure our church culture is biblical culture. Of course we need to examine issues and continue to grow. I know I do. I went into ministry 10 years ago. Isn't that crazy? 33, I was at 23. You know, at the ripe, mature, knowing all age of 23, <laughs> I was given people to lead. You know what I'm saying? And I think a lot of good came out of that, but honestly, I said a lot of dumb things. I believe things differently than I did 10 years ago. And I, I genuinely just want a second want to say, if I ever said something as a minister that hurt you, if I ever said something as a minister representative of the ministry or the church, or even as a minister representative of God, and I said something that, that funkified your faith, right? I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm genuinely sorry. And, and I want to continue to mature. Prayerfully, 10 years from now at 33, I'll be a lot better leader than I am now. Probably 33 days from now also, praise God, right? We're all growing together. We're all maturing together. We need to examine issues, but we need to make sure the will of God is what's influencing us most and not the will of Satan in this world. So what I want to do for the rest of our time is I want to focus on what Jesus focused on in Matthew 22 and really bring it back to something that if we define this right, instead of going through every hot topic issue and trying to define it biblically, what I want to do is I want to focus on something. If you define this right, then it will help you define everything else from kingdom perspective. Amen? And what that is, is I want to talk about identity. Identity. Because where you take your identity from is going to be the base culture from which you define issues. So it all comes from where you first get your identity from. So to start this out, I want to uh, play a clip. I want to go back to the ancient, uh, the ancient wise teacher, Rafiki from The Lion King. All right? So I want to start here. We can play a little clip. 
creepy little monkey. Will you stop following me? <laughs> who are you? The question is, who are you? <sighs> I thought I knew. Now I'm not so sure. Well, I know who you are. Shh, come here. It's a secret. Uh, enough already. What is that supposed to mean, anyway? It means you're a baboon. And I'm not. <laughs> I think you're a little confused. Wrong. I'm not the one who's confused. You don't even know who you are. Oh, and I suppose you know. Sure do. You're Mufasa's boy. <gasps> Bye. Hey, wait. <laughs> I love her, Vicky, right there. You don't even know who you are. But I think that's something so important for us to consider and think about. Do you even know who you are? Do you know what builds your identity? Do you know what you base your predominant culture off of? And it's so good for us to start with of where we get our identity from. What defines you most? And, and the truth is, is that Defining ourselves as image bearers of God is the most fulfilling lifestyle of all time. Jesus there said, you know, give to God what is God. Give God your whole being. Define yourself as image bearers. When you do that, living out as he designed humans to be in the kingdom of God, you find complete love. You find true peace. You find fulfilling joy. It's the greatest life you could ever live. If you take your identity from anything else in this world, what do you find? You find brokenness. You find anxiety and worry and lack of fulfillment. So if you're, if you're new here, I, I want you to hear, you're trying to figure out this thing about Christianity. Man, taking your identity in God will take care of you more than your wildest dreams. That doesn't mean bad things won't happen to you, but living out life, walking through life with the presence of God just brings the most ultimate joy and peace and love you could ever imagine. And because of that, Satan wants to do whatever he can to take your identity away from God and put it in things of this world. Uh, you, you, we all have heard of identity theft, right? Do you remember the first time you got a scam about someone trying to offer you millions of dollars to scam you or take your identity? And do you remember that? I was in college, all right? And I, I got this email from my like, uncle's second cousin twice removed that was rich. He had just died, and he was going to give me his entire wealth because I was his only living descendants. I, I had never received one of these before, and I was like, dude, no way. I was like, mom and dad, we're rich. You don't have to pay for my college anymore. Like, just, and they were like, Jordan, you're only living descendant. We're still alive. And I was like, shut up. You know, just, but, you know, I go and I type onto Google. I don't type like that. But I go and type onto Google what the email said. It was like word for word scam alerts, right? And so, but do you remember that, right? It, it, identity theft, when someone tries to take your identity, Satan and the powers and principalities of this world are experts at identity thefts. They're experts at it. They're experts at stealing your identity from being an image bearer and putting it onto things of this world. Because he knows if they can just do that, one, they will cripple your life, but then two, they will get you to redefine biblical things based off of things of this world. So we're going to talk about this. What do you get your identity from? Let's go back to how we were designed for. What do you get your identity from? Let's talk about, uh, you know, here we go. What do you get your identity from? Let's talk about a more lighthearted one first. Do you get your identity from sports or sports teams? 
You know, uh, Auburn, it's really exciting. Uh, Auburn has a new part-time minister, the ATC Church. Trey Wright is a new part-time minister at Auburn Tuskegee Christian Church. We're really excited about that. And uh, so he came up a couple days ago, and we connected. We, we were at Blaze Pizza down at Cumberland, and he had his Auburn shirt on. And, um, and so we sat down in the booth, and there's this six-year-old boy going, Boo! Boo Auburn! Go dogs! Boo! And, I mean, literally, we're at the booth, and he's, like, right behind Trey shouting in his ear. And we're just like, what is happening? And so we look past to mom, you know, and then mom, she doesn't even apologize. She goes, taught him right. <laughs> but do you take your identity from sports? I know that can be a more silly one, but, man, in the, in the, in the southeast, SEC, it's supposed to be God family football, but that can get kind of rearranged, Right? Okay, let's talk about some more serious ones that can mess with us. What do you build your identity off of? Do you build your identity off of corporate success or wealth? One piece about identity is that you view other people based off the same things you build your identity off of. So if you build your identity off of corporate success or wealth, you're going to start viewing others through corporate success or wealth. And so what can happen is you can start looking down on your brothers and sisters in Christ because they're not as successful as you are. You can start looking down on other image bearers of God because you have more worldly wealth than them, even though it will pass away. What's more important to you, your role at work or your role in the kingdom of God? What brings you more happiness? What do you long for more? More money? That, that more success? Or to be closer to God? What do you stay up at night thinking about? Wealth and success are not inherently wrong. Well, we need wealthy, successful disciples to help other wealthy, successful people become Christians. They can take care of their family. They can be examples of humble sacrifice to give to the work of the Lord. But do not take your identity from that. Do not take your identity from that. Give to God what is God's, your entire being. What else can we take our identity from? Do you, do you take your identity from marital status, race, or gender? Yes, I combined all of them. I don't know why, but it's for time, all right? You know, I, bury, I bear the identity that I'm a married man. It's a hard finger. I'm a married man on my ring, right? I, I bear the identity of a, of a white person when I'm outside for more than five minutes and I get burnt, right? And, and those things are important to me. Like my family of heritage is important to me. My marriage is extremely important to me. But that can't be my base identity. You see, if your race or gender is more, uh, let, me, let me say it like this. If I base my identity first off of being a white married man instead of an image bearer of God, then I can start to look at everyone else through those lens also. So I start to create worldly divisions based off of external factors instead of being the family of God. So I can start to think, well, he just said that because he's single. Or she just said that because she's black. Or she just said that because she's a girl. And they could be speaking biblical truths that I need to hear from my walk with God, but because I see them through that lens of identity, I can't even hear what I need in my soul. So I have to first, I, I can't let that be my base identity, even though, of course, those things matter. Is your race or gender more important to you or the fact that you're made in God's image? I appreciate we're celebrating uh, Hispanic heritage much. That's so special and amazing. 
And the reason we do that is because it shows off the family of God. Not to say one race is better than the other. We're all image bearers of God. And it's only in his family where we can have this level of diversity. But none of that is more important than being an image of God. If you're married, is your relationship with God still more important to you than your relationship with your spouse? If you're single, are you content with God alone? Like to your core? Or do you believe that a spouse is the only way to receive fulfillment? The answer to these questions can help you figure out where you really get your identity from. We have to first see each other as sons and daughters of God, as image bearers in the kingdom of God. Amen. Let's do one more. You know, I've talked about race. I've talked about wealth. So I might as well go there. Let's talk about politics. All right. Politics. You know, I did not get a cheer there. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Where do you go for your identity? Do you go to politics for your identity? You know, uh, whenever politics get brought up on stage, I want to make a couple statements. First is that this is not a political platform. This is Jesus' platform. So we, we don't preach a political party. We preach kingdom. If you ever feel like I or any speaker is preaching a political party, that is because of the deficiencies of us as a speaker, not because of our intents. Our intent is always to preach kingdom. It's never to preach a worldly camp or a worldly political party. But let's talk about this. Do you build your identity more with your political party or being an image bearer of God? If you were to compare your allegiance to the kingdom of God versus your allegiance to the Democratic or Republican Party, who would win? What makes you more happy and fills you with more joy? Seeing your your party gain presidency or majority in the Senate or the Supreme Court? Or does it bring you more joy knowing that King Jesus sits on the throne? Do you spend more time researching a candidate or your party's platforms or researching Jesus in the ways of the kingdom? Do you trust Biden or Trump or Jesus more to take care of you and your family? You got to go there. Now, we're in church, so I know you kind of feel like I have to say, yes, of course, it's Jesus, but... Would your coworkers believe that you believe Jesus more and trust Jesus more based off of what you argue with that word? Would your friends on Facebook believe that you trust Jesus more with your family based off your posts? I love what Michael Burns said, uh, said two weeks ago. I could never in my wildest imagination imagine Paul and Peter arguing over who should be Caesar. I could never imagine that. That should not be in the family of God. If you find yourself arguing for those things, you've got to go back to, where do I base, why do I care so much? What is in my identity? Why do I take my identity so much in this worldly camp that I, I, I feel like I have to argue these things as if they matter most? Now look, give to America what is America's. Give, 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 give to America what is America's. You can have your thoughts. You can have your opinions. You have a decision to, to where to vote. Give to America what is America's, but you need to give to God what is God's. There should, be no, there should be no comparison between how much of your heart you give to politics compared to how much of your heart you give to God. You are not made in the image of a blue donkey, and you're not made in the image of a red elephant. You're made in the image of God. 
You're made in the image of God. In his kingdom, Jesus is Lord, and nothing compares to that. If you call yourself, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, take your identity in Jesus. Live out being an image bearer of God. Live a life of love as a son and daughter of God. Amen. So where do you get your identity from? If you find yourself in a place where you're getting your identity from something else beside Jesus, hey, you know what? That's okay. This is a great place to figure out how to build your identity on Jesus. It's a great place for that. Your identity, though, is so important. And if you're, if you're not there yet, I want to remind you that your identity is where you base everything else off of in terms of spirituality. So you have to figure that out first. So how do you redefine your identity? You've got to go back to this. You've got to go to who did God say he designed you as? Who, back to the image of which you bear. You know, some of my favorite passages of who the Bible says you are, you know, that we're image bearers of God that you're sons and daughters of God, that we're more than conquerors through him who loves us. Check this one out. You are God's special possession. That you're the light of the world. How precious are the thoughts of God about you? It's incredible. So here's what I want to call all of us to do. Whether or not you feel like your identity is in Jesus and you just need a reminder, whether you feel like you're shaky and you're trying to figure it out and really solidify that it's Jesus, or else you feel like, dude, i got to be honest, I'm not even close to there. I want to call all of us to do something this week, to find 20 passages in the scriptures that define who God made you to be. Go to who you are designed, go to who you were designed to be, what your identity truly is. You say 20, no way. Dude, there's like 100. There's so many. That's one of my favorite things to pray through. I love praying through who God is, and God, you are, you are great. You're the I am. You're, you're, you are the Lord of heaven's armies. I love praying through all those things, but I love thanking God and praying through what he makes me to be. And thank God, thank you so much you made me your son. I can't believe I'm your special possession. God, no way. Like, so find these passages and then pray through them to dig deep into your hearts that first and foremost, you bear the image of an almighty God. Amen? Amen. Amen.